Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Abby. And you're listening to Did the Reading, a podcast where we did the reading so you don't have to. Abigail, why don't you tell our listeners what we're looking at this week? Well, what a question, Jessica Curry. This week, we will be looking at Macbeth by William Shakespeare. Or is it? We're not getting into that today, but it's always something to keep in mind. I love to begin these episodes immediately with some intrigue. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tell me about your historic relationship with Macbeth and how you feel about it as a play. It's it's quite a limited one, I won't lie Mm. to you. I've never studied it. We both, I think, did Hamlet at A-level. No, I did Leah. Oh, well, there's a couple more there. Um, And then you have to do a Shakespeare play for GCSE as well, don't you? Anyway, yes. it still wasn't Macbeth, but <laughs> just all arguably, the time you didn't read Macbeth. No, not then, not then either. I wasn't forced to do it there either. Yeah, didn't okay. come up in uni. Yeah. Um, but I'd say like arguably one of his most famous. So to the point where I am just you know aware of it, and I don't know. I haven't. We watched the film together. I swear, like a year ago. No, we watched Richard III together. This is starting excellently. I swear we watched... There's the film with... um. Oh, I'm not going to remember. Never mind. We're Ian McKellen. Yeah. That is Richard III. Oh. <laughs> You're like, all of a sudden I'm wondering what happens in Macbeth. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What's your... Yeah, I um, bloody love Macbeth. I would say it's probably my favourite Shakespeare play. It hits all the high notes. I did it for my A level. Um, and like as in, I worked it into that coursework oh God, stuff. I that. Yeah, and um, I did a bit of it at uni for my Shakespeare portfolio. But I just think out and out, it's a very good play. You know, there is not too much gristle. It is to the point. Yeah, when I was doing some reading around it, people were like, it's the most efficient play. It's the shortest. It's the highest drama. What's not to love? I completely agree. I think sometimes there is a risk with Shakespeare's tragedies. And like, who am I to say it, you know, 400 years later? But that he ends up a bit like, you know, we've got to hit this two hour mark put some other stuff in. I think, you know, if you did like a what is the best Shakespeare play like knockout, you've got to like for today, and I'm I'm gonna say this from a kind of modern perspective, and I won't be taking criticism from anyone who knows better than me. I think in terms of accessibility, the comedies aren't there because it's so innuendo heavy. And unless you're very au fait with like 17th century innuendo, they are really, really difficult to read. Um, I do agree with that. I think it's that thing. It's like um, the the humour, like you say, is not as timeless as just like, oh, here's another murder. Yeah, exactly. Kind of murder. That, like, that's timeless. 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 But innuendo. Because audiences across the ages. Exactly. And I think, you know, if you think about his other tragedies or even his other kind of histories, you know, histories, again, less timeless, can often feel a little bit like, what's going on here you know I don't know masses about Richard forward slash John forward slash anyone else tragedies you know King Lear very good bit long 
You know, this does make it sound like the only reason I like a Shakespeare play is if I find it easy to read on the first try and short. And I promise that I've got more intellectual thoughts about the situation. But on the primary basis of if you're looking for a starter Shakespeare play, this is the best one. Would you agree? I would. That's yeah. a beautiful point to <laughs> get get into it with. So Beth has just been in a battle. And we're like hearing from all these messengers who are like, oh my God, he crushed it on the field. Suddenly, you know, like these people are Make it sound like a football game. <laughs> <laughs> but but he attacked back. And then he did a really good job. And he was just amazing. They were all like, oh my God, he's amazing. And then Macbeth and Banquo arrive. Banquo being, you know, one of the other Scottish nobility. And they're riding along and they're like, great battle, bro. And then they run into these um, witches and the witches are like, hello, um, is that the Thane of Glamis forward slash the Thane of Cordor forward slash the king to be to Macbeth? And Macbeth's like, what? I'm only the Thane of Glamis. And they're like, we said what we said. And then they're like, Banquo, what's up? You're never going to be king, but your, your kids are. And he's like, what? That's insane. Uh, and they're both like, I don't really think that's true. But then... Someone turns up and is like, you are the Thane of Cordor now, Macbeth, because the actual Thane of Cordor betrayed us. And he's like, what? It seems now that this prophecy is going to be true. So Macbeth is like, right, there is a lot going on here. So he writes a letter to his wife and his wife is like, this is excellent news. And I see this (laughs) as a fantastic opportunity to get some royal jewels. And I will be making the most of this. She does not actually say that. That was me trying to add humour. Please do not misinterpret this. Anyway, so she's like, right. I hear that Duncan, the king, is going to be at our castle this weekend. You know what that means. We're going to kill him. And then my husband will be king. But Beth's like, he's actually been really nice to me in the past. Um, I'd prefer not to do that. And then what you like you little wuss you little chicken <laughs> like she's like you know that bit in Arrested Development where they're like caw, 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 caw. Um, perhaps a niche <laughs> reference but that's <laughs> what you mean and so so she's like right we're gonna murder him so he arrives they murder him and then blame it on the Chamberlains and then Macbeth murders the Chamberlains and he's like what I cannot believe this happened this is like the worst thing ever and everyone's like yeah this is really rough you have to be king now, Macbeth. I'm sorry. Like, it's just... And Macbeth's like, oh, God, this is... Oh, yeah, okay, then, fine. You forced my hand. Um, And so then Banquo is like, mm, right, well, this seems a bit dodgy. So he and his son, <laughs> Fleance, um, go on a little ride. And Macbeth's like, have a good time, see you at dinner. And then some murderers arrive, and the murderers are like, hello, we're here to murder Banquo. And Macbeth is like, just as I hoped... Because he wants to kill off Banquo so that Banquo's kids can't threaten his lineage. So he sends out these murderers after Banquo to kill Banquo and Fleance. But the murderers are second rate. This is like a money-saving effort. They only manage to kill Banquo. And Fleance gets away. So that really has just, you know, like, was that a solution? No. So then Macbeth's at dinner and he's like, this is a nightmare. And then who turns up? 
Banquo's ghost. He did say he was going to be there, and he is. So Macbeth is like, this is a nightmare. So he goes to go and see the witches again, and he's like, I'm not loving the way this is going right now. Um, and it's making me feel really insecure. I'm feeling quite overwhelmed. And so he gets them to give him a new prophecy, and they produce this whole, like, you know, they have some little, like, holographics. They have... Um, you know, some poetry, they've really, you know, like, there's not a lot going on, so they've really, like, committed. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they're like, look, you should be aware of Macduff, and, like, Macbeth's, like, noted. They're like, but you cannot be killed by a man who is not of a woman born. And he's like, "Uh, Macduff, you know, whatever. And then they're like, and you don't have anything to worry until Burnham Wood advances on the castle. And he's like, that's never going to happen. So, uh, I guess it's back to living my life. He sends the murderers after Macduff's family because while Macduff escapes, because Macduff is like, I'm not loving how this is going. Macbeth looks a bit crazy and I think we all think he's murdered someone here. And then we watch Lady Macbeth slowly descend into madness. She's spending a lot of time washing her hands, a lot of time scrubbing, and she takes her life. And Macbeth is like, right, well, we've just got to focus on the battle ahead. Because at the moment, Macduff and some insurgents are just trying to take him on. Disguised by bows from Burnham Wood. So Burnham Wood is actually advancing on the castle. And everyone's like, this is such a bummer. And Macduff turns up and they're like fighting. And Macbeth is like, yeah, you can't. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Oh but <laughs> that's where he's wrong. Because he wasn't born of a woman he he was delivered by cesarean so if you think about it it's not the same apparently i don't who knows anyway then he dies and Macduff and ross are like great here we are again let's fucking go and that is the end thank you so much thank you so much that was very long and no one enjoyed it but it's done now um <laughs> that was beautiful just like basically could have read out the play in the time it took to deliver that summary. Not um, quite still Shakespeare, but still. Right, Jessica, I'm going to ask you the first question. Oh, God. I'm not sure if I'm awake for this. Right, let's go. Okay, so the first question I wanted to address to you is the issue of female power in the play. Because obviously mm. we don't have a lot of female characters. No. We've got the ladies, the witches. We've got Lady Macbeth and we've got Lady Macduff. And, you know, they all present varying ideas of female power, whether that be in the domestic space, murder-wise, or in terms of changing the course of history. The three options. The three options. You know, you either do that or give up, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what you thought about female power generally in the play, and do you think, you know, it's like, is it a girl power play? Or is it not a girl power play? I would argue not a girl power play. How could you say that? Holistically. Um, I don't know. I just don't know if we have any actual instances. <laughs> in I know because well the way you're taking this seriously. Well, that's the most stupid question ever. And you're like, well, um, yeah, getting into girl power. Um, yeah. No, you joke. When I made notes for this, 
episode I fully like I basically rephrased exactly the question <laughs> okay asked. fantastic <laughs> right I want you to read these notes out verbatim um no that's it the, the whole boat is just the word girl power anyway let's get back on to it <laughs> I don't I don't know if there's a single female character in this play that I'm like wow that is an excellently drawn female character let alone just being like that's a great person um I think the thing about Lady Macbeth is she is obviously part of the cultural imagination like to this day because Mm. she's like a very very interesting character and I think her relationship with Macbeth and the kind of like psychology that's I guess like injected into those characters is really like there's so much you can say and people are you know still talking about it Mm. but I don't think any element of that demonstrates that she has any power and also just the kind of the very classic like oh what do we do with her we'll have her descend into madness and die yeah I think you know obviously I guess there's like a split isn't there because those bits are um you know like they're very archetypic and Mm -hmm. as well like it kind of buys into that idea of punishing women for ambition or like for stepping out of their assigned roles and then immediately being like yeah well um she did this but uh watch what happens next but in terms of like making shit happen in the play if we talk about action rather than like the dimension of characters because i don't think we can say many of the characters in this play are like you know perfectly drawn multi-dimensional characters we're like oh he mm-hmm. has a sense of humor oh you know he's sensitive yet yeah. Not yeah, one person in this play has a sense of humour. <laughs> it's like not one person in this play has ever made a fucking joke. Apart from perhaps the little boy who's like Macduff's son, who's like, well, will you find a new husband? You could pick up 20 at market. It's like, now's not the time for jokes, son. Um, no, so, but I mean, like, in terms of making shit happen in the play, the witches basically... Oh, yeah, in terms of, like, plot drivers. Plot drivers, I guess, like, is a kind of big power thing like ultimately Macbeth is um a little bit of you know a lump of clay in terms of the fact that he doesn't do anything unless somebody tells him to do it Mm -hmm. and I think you know like for people to have ambition or just be a little bit like now's the time like the witches and uh, Lady Macbeth they really they really do do that it's true and I guess if you want to be pedantic, you're like, well, they don't like do anything. They just prompt Macbeth and like other male characters to do things. But then it's also like that's still pretty major, I would argue. I would agree. I think, though, the thing is that like, yes and no. I think also it's about like operating within the strictures of how, you know, the patriarchal society works, because yeah. could the witches drop round to the castle and murder Duncan, possibly. But does that have the same drama? No. 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 And also, from the perspective of Lady Macbeth, how is she going to, you know, like, if she doesn't get Macbeth's buy-in, she can't become queen because he might dob her in. She is entirely reliant on him enabling her rise to power. Mm -hmm. So... Like, she does need him to be like, right, yeah, this seems like a good plan. Yeah. 
I think it's it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, like obviously one of the most iconic scenes in the play is the bit with the outdown spot mm-hmm. hand washing moment. Um, but it's a, like a hyper level of passivity, isn't it? In terms of the fact that that's like her subconscious. And as well, the fact that she doesn't even know she's incriminating herself. And the fact that this is the only time we see someone in a truly, truly vulnerable private sphere. And so that's kind of the person who's afforded the absolute least power and agency in the play. Yeah. Um, And that moment. And then I think as well, there's something which feels like a major injustice about her death. That it's just like, she dies off stage. Someone tells Macbeth about it and he's like, bummer, right, moving on. And it's like, you yeah. know, where is the dimension? Yeah. Doesn't he say like, oh, she would have she would have died soon anyway? Or like Yeah. I can't remember what the Shakespearean is. Thing has the word hereafter in it. But my point yeah, is hereafter, you know how it goes. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> He's got away with like words a... that I haven't got anyway. Hereafter's in there. Right, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Um there's a kind of I don't know like expendability to it once she's like pushed him over the edge of being like yes I will murder then it's like there's no use for her yeah exactly it's like once he's made the decision himself her role as somebody to drive decisions is no longer necessary okay Abigail as We've already discussed, you have compared this to King Lear before, but mm. in your favourite question, do you want to tell me any other things you think well, would be a... interesting yes, to would. compare this to? Um, I will think of a couple of other things. I think I'd wondered about, in terms of like contemporary demonology plays, stuff like Dr Faustus, Middleton's The Witch... Also, I guess it kind of reminded me of, I was thinking about the role of prophecy within the play and this very unique thing whereby the act of giving the prophecy forces the prophecy into motion, Mm -hmm. um, which is quite um, unique. um, Yeah. Because quite a lot of the time it's like there is a level of inevitability to the prophecy which is separate from it being spoken of. Whereas I don't think Macbeth would have ever got to that point unless that conversation had been had. In a way, it kind of reminded me as a kind of counterpoint of like Oedipus as a prophecy narrative. Mm, yes. Like this person who's fighting, battling so hard against that happening to him and everyone in his life continuing to contend against it. And yet they're being, um, and yet it's still kind of coming around. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I don't know. What do you think? What else had kind of resonated with you when you read it? No, honestly, I just, I think it's always difficult when it's, um, I feel like we've talked about this before when it's like you're reading something that in many ways is like the original for a lot of the archetypes that you're then like, mm. what? has been compared to it but did you have any other thoughts well let me have a think about that i mean if we think about women driving for 
power, whatever the cost? That's an interesting question. I suppose you could think of it in quite a different way as something like Gone Girl or something like that. Um, mm. Could be quite a nice comparator because the level of deception that goes around with it and the level of self-sacrifice. The reason I kind of brought it up was it's that interesting gap between it being his narrative but her story, effectively. Yeah, I think It'll she's... Also be quite... What's her name? Amy. Is really yes. interesting if you then compare her to Lady Macbeth in terms of obviously we've already spoken about whether or not the women in this play are just like almost incite incite action rather than like actually carry it out themselves. Whereas yes. Amy is Amy like undoubtedly is the one like completely in control in that yes. narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, I guess as well, you could think about with something like Why Tagasso see Jean Reese, this kind of, um, the like madness developing narrative, a kind of level of like entrapment and limitation as well with the kind of like existing in a kind of upper class setting, which translate the restrictiveness of public etiquette into a very oppressive home environment. Uh, yeah I like that thank you um, <laughs> for years I have slaved to get your affirmation um, I'll be like, how do I get Jean Reese into this how do I get Jean Reese into this literally every single day I ask myself that I mean to be honest it literally I was only thinking about this this morning and I'll tell you anyway even though this is no good and it <laughs> deserves to be cut I Damn. was watching Come Dine With Me last night and um, this woman was on it and she was talking about having gone to go and see a psychic. And she was like, this woman predicted my boob job. She said, you're going to have a major body transformation. And then I went and got a boob job. Can you believe it? And I was like, Macbeth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, That's right. slightly terrifying. Okay. I think as well you could see um, something about the kind of anonymity of like the murderers who just kind of roll up and then head in, take some people out. And that's supposed to be like our translation of to emphasise the evilness of um, Macbeth. I suppose that again, Hunger Games, I'm always bringing it up. Um, but you know it kind of gives me a certain horror movie vibe I can't necessarily articulate which one um, I suppose stuff like The Purge or is it Chernobyl Diaries or stuff like that where I'm there's like sure. an anonymity to the act of killing but it's supposed to kind of generate an overwhelming sense of dread and kind of inevitability yeah that is what baffles me slightly about the play is when it's like i think you said briefly in your beautiful summary where it's kind of like it's only by like murder number 20 or so the people mm -hmm. are like this this could be him um me first of all 
I would like to ask what you think the role of prophecy is in this play and how you believe it functions. Obviously, the kind of catalyst for action is um, the arrival of the witches and the giving of the prophecy. But is the prophecy inevitable and they're just enacting it? Or is the prophecy an ever mutating and nebulous presence which is just responding to the whims of the individual. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. I think this idea of prophecy and like self-fulfilling prophecies is kind of the most engaging bit of the play. I think it's really Mm. interesting. And I think the very, obviously there's the like slightly convenient, there's like a brief update (laughs) when he goes to see the witches for a second time where they're like, now... It means this. But in general, I think the way in which the prophecy and people and like mild when like a small bit of it is confirmed, i.e. when he becomes Fate of Cordor. And then like Lady Macbeth and like Banquo, I think, as well, are like, well, this means the whole thing must be true. And then obviously he takes actions and is persuaded to take actions to make the rest of it true. I think the kind of like psychology of that is really fascinating. And it goes back to, you mentioned the Oedipus plays. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting link, not least because, as I said, the balance between prophecies being I'm predicting the future versus I'm giving you information and like you can just kind of make it happen because it's also like I don't know the witches are there's a whole debate I swear about whether they're even real or not and yeah that's an interesting question their actual role is because obviously they're the they're where the prophecy comes from because the thing is ultimately if we eradicated the witches what would the impact be if there was no prophecy if for example Lady Macbeth had said look you know this is a pretty great turnout for the books, you could be king, the impact of the play could still have been the same. What perhaps would have been different is the level of paranoia that's generated by the sense that there are forces outside of himself. And also, I guess, what the prophecy is supposed to develop in the play is a level of accountability and recognition outside of himself. Yeah, Um, but then I don't know if it would have panned out the same if there wasn't a prophecy. Because, like, at the very beginning, Mm. I don't think... Macbeth is bloodthirsty or even like massively ambitious to the same extent but don't you think he's not until Lady Macbeth pushes him to it I mean if she had made the decision to push him for it and said look this Thane of Cordrick's turnout is really good news but we're mere seconds away from kingship could Mm. she have had the same impact I think what she does is says if that's going to happen why doesn't it happen tomorrow rather than puts the idea in his head and makes him do it. Do you think he would have become king if he didn't hear the prophecy? Mm. Mm. Definitely not in the same way, <laughs> but also, uh, no. But I think no. the thing is as well, what resonates for me is that the simultaneous prophecy with Banquo mm-hmm. about his children being uh, heirs. heirs would not have existed at the same time, for example, say Duncan eventually dies and then Macbeth becomes king because he's next in line. Mm-hmm. Then why would Banquo's kids 
become kings. There's no reason for that to be the next line of lineage. If Macbeth doesn't have children. Well, that's a debate in itself. Um, <laughs> I mean, haven't you read that thing? It's like, there's like that famous paper, which is like, do the Macbeths have kids? And then this guy's like, yeah, actually, they have three children. And it's like, where did you pull like, that figure from? But loving it, loving it. <laughs> you say this as if I read many a Macbeth paper, but... I didn't, I didn't think they did. I don't want to argue with this man. No. But... I mean, it's never verbatim, but there's no reason why they shouldn't. Hmm. Intriguing. Thank you. Yeah, what are your thoughts? On which specific thing, my sweet angel? On the, I don't know, function, either as like a plot device or something larger of prophecy. Um... I think that the prophecy is the only thing that makes it happen in the play. And in Mm. that regard, they could just be random people who are like, how mad would this be? Because they've just dressed up, stood around the (laughs) children. You know how it is when you find a misty field and then you suddenly see Major Thane of Glamis... Uh, riding across the field and you're like do you know what let's hatch a plan let's hatch a little plan I'm like a little bit of a political enthusiast and I'm just kind of wondering what will happen next but yeah I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy type issue I think the second prophecy functions differently in terms of the fact that it's more about warnings and more about um, stuff that's out of his control but the first prophecy acts as a driver, and I guess the second prophecy acts as a stopper. So it is almost a bit circular in a way. Yeah. Why do we still care about Macbeth, Abigail? I think that the reason we still care about Macbeth is that it is a timeless exploration of the opportunity and risks of ambition. I think also what is very interesting about it is the combination of psychological and supernatural elements is something that people have pursued for so long. In the same way, you know, you see it in stuff like Hereditary, that gap between, or like Shutter Island, where it's like, Mm. is it a hallucination or is it really real ghost? And this feeling of like not being able to separate yourself from reality is something that I think really resonates with people particularly in a very fast-paced world where we're all looking for meaning or external drivers yeah I think that's it actually is like the idea of having someone even in like extremely cryptic terms be like here's a kind of framework for how the next I don't know immediate time frame of your life is going to go it's yeah. kind of the kind of comfort and also danger of that I don't know it's like danger of reading your horoscopes to a T is basically yeah. what's happening in this play um yeah. and I think like you say the comfort and desire for some kind of supernatural be that kind of spiritual religious or otherwise like framework or direction to Mm. how you how you act and like some sort of like portal into the future I guess Mm. I think that's something that everyone in some way 
I think possibly whether you realize it or not, everyone kind of does or constructs for themselves. Yeah. And I think, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think also this feeling of inevitability as something that can be a relief and take the pressure mm-hmm. off, I guess, in a way, um, versus something that can be really impossible is something that really resonates with people I think there can be a feeling a lot that stuff is out of your control and while the reason why uh, like Macbeth in a way uh, generates or manufactures the circumstances by which things become out of his control Mm -hmm. um, I think this feeling of like desperation and desperately trying to grapple and alter the circumstances by yourself is something that people are really fascinated by. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's sort of endlessly re it's that what's it? Oh God. What's that quote? The bit where it's like the circle turns again, but never in the same way or something like this. I can't remember what it was. I read it the other day. I was like, very yeah. true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it certainly resonates with people's like battle for power and I think as well what's quite nice about it is even though it's a tragedy people I think also crave that divine justice thing whereby when you have I guess like rulers or unfair systems it can often feel like there isn't a a natural endpoint. that person will still mm-hmm. succeed there's and no lot- balance to it no, there isn't. It's um, you very rarely have real narratives in real life where somebody who's truly evil or who has done something truly evil will, in inverted commas, pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, get their comeuppance. Get their comeuppance. So I think there's something about it where the fact that he's caught out and is lost a step behind and then is killed is something that's a satisfying plot. Yes. I think as well. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yeah, like I think it's uh it's a tragedy in the sense of a lot of people die. A lot of people die. But in terms of the overarching like narrative, mm. it is this person gets driven to evil by I mean like that's a question in and of itself, but they do and then things get resolved. And I swear at the end it's Malcolm Duncan's yeah. son, who becomes king, and yeah. he makes this whole speech about like ruling with kindness, essentially. King. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's like, and that's what he said. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I just think it's uh, it's something that people really uh, look for—that kind of return to normality, or like, kind of, I guess, things to resolve in a valid or what's seen as just way yeah 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 because i think it as well you know we we like a like you know with some of his other narratives like if you think about something like king lear what truly makes that so tragic is cordelia's death mm-hmm. um and while we do have the you know the ultimate innocent death with the um with lady Macduff's son mm-hmm. um our attachment to him is not really as great. Yeah. Whereas with like King Lear, you kind of get to the end and you're like, right, well, this was a bummer for literally everyone involved. 
Like no one came out of That's this. That's the well. true measure of a Shakespearean <laughs> tragedy. Whereas Macbeth, you're like, hmm, well, you know, back to normal then. And that's the, that's the analysis, you know? Thank you so much for chatting to me, Abigail. Well, that is no problem, Jessica. It was lovely to speak about my favoured Shakespeare play, Macbeth. A reminder that you can drop us an email at didthereadingpod at gmail.com and also follow us on Instagram at didthereadingpod for updates and little snippets of our previous episodes. Mm. Woohoo! Sounds fun! You guys ought to do that. I love doing that myself. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> love. <laughs> There's one email coming into that inbox. It's from me saying how good the latest episode was. Um, anyway, yes, you guys ought to do that. Thank you very much for listening.